Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dream. Wow, what a treat I have today for you for Spirit in Action. If you tuned in for the interviews I did this summer from the Friends General Conference Gathering, you heard a bit from my co-host for some of those interviews, Madeline Schaefer. Madeline does her own radio programs and podcasts called Friends Speaks My Mind, but she's accepted to fill in periodically for me on my Northern Spirit radio shows. She may be the first to co-produce these programs, but keep in mind that you might be the next co-host of this show. If you are interested in the prospect of producing either Spirit in Action or Song of the Soul, please contact me via the info on northernspiritradio.org. Maybe you're called to share your spirit and your piece of the light with our listeners nationwide. Again, Madeline Schaefer produced today's show. So today, for Spirit in Action, she'll be sharing a montage called Spirit in the Digital Age, looking at how these new tools impact our spiritual health. While the lessons and insights are, I think, universal, Madeline Schaefer has brought in the experience of Quakers she knows, looking at things like doing a week-long technology fast. So, many of the subjects are likely applicable to you, whether or not you're connected in any way with Quakers, and they'll all be interesting. One thing I'll note for those of you unfamiliar with Quakers, the official name of Quakers is the Religious Society of Friends, so we are often simply called by the name Friends, and you'll hear that term throughout the interviews. There's no intent to confuse, befuddle, or obfuscate. It's just a term used interchangeably with Quaker. The name Quakers, while perfectly acceptable and positive today, was actually, originally, an insult. Today, it's just fine to say either Quakers or Friends, and Madeline and her guests will be using both names. Madeline brings great passion, insight, and talent to her exploration of spirit, and it's an honor to have her sit in today for me for Spirit in Action. Sorry, I'm just closing out these tabs, and then I just got to finish up this conversation. Okay. Oh. Oh. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I was just expecting this call and I should have turned it off. I'm so sorry. Anyway, welcome 
To Friends Speaks My Mind, exploring the soul of Quakerism, I'm Madeline Schaefer. Our lives are filled with noise. Whether that is physical noise or simply thoughts and information that create a kind of mental racket. So all of this modern technology, which is so attractive and is not going away, can naturally create some difficulty for finding that still small voice. How do Quakers deal with the internet and cell phones and iPods and all of our increasing methods for avoiding silence? And how are we taking advantage of all of the amazing ways that the internet and other forms of communication can help us connect to one another? I spoke with Martin Kelly, perhaps the most famous Quaker on the internet. He started the blog consortium Quaker Quaker, and has been instrumental in promoting a vibrant online Quaker community. He is a big proponent of using the internet to create dialogue among many different branches of friends. Would you define yourself as a convergent friend? Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I'm definitely sort of, you know, part of this convergent friends movement, but um, one of the things I think about convergent Friends, it's a misunderstood term a lot of times, but it's also, I think of it more as converging friends. Okay. That um, it's friends um, being where they are and who they are in terms of theology and social issues um, who are looking back towards traditional Quaker ideas and trying to figure out how relevant they are to a modern context. So, you know, you might have a liberal who's a convergent friend, and that means maybe they're, you know, looking back at, like, well, what's this whole Christian root of, of Quakerism? Um, mm, and okay. evangelical pastoral friend might be thinking more like, well, what's the role of the pastor that traditional friends didn't have that? So what's the role of the pastor in that? Hmm. Conservative friends might be looking more at what's, uh, you know, should we be evangelizing and doing more outreach? So that might be a conservative friend. So it, it's not that there's one sort of type of, you know, kind of theology or social position. It's convergent friends. It's sort of more friends from various branches who are, kind of curious about the others and curious about the Quaker roots and um, are there any babies that we've thrown out with the bathwater okay. in our evolution as uh, different types of friends. And so what is the role of the internet and blogging specifically had in Convergent Friends? Oh, well, it's been huge. Um, I mean, the nice thing about uh, blogs is that uh, you can just hit Google or check out one of the directories and all of a sudden you're reading someone who normally you wouldn't meet you're not even necessarily supposed to meet. You know, we're all in our little yearly meetings, and even when we travel across the country, we're often finding friends who are just like us, and we're having these same sorts of conversations. With blogs, you can have a conversation with someone who's a totally different type of friend, and with the Internet in general, but blogs especially have been kind of nicer forums. People mm -hmm. are more friendly, more open right. um, than sort of the, the open Internet sometimes. I sort of had this experience pre-blog, uh, I was very involved with Quakers United in publications for a while, and they would have meetings all around the world, uh, well, Europe and North America mostly, and people from different types of branches would come together, and you'd have these sort of conversations. Uh, one of the people who's involved with, as one of the sort of editors of Quaker Quaker is Johann Maurer, 
who was the general secretary of FUM. Now he's uh, in Northwest Yearly Meeting uh, with Evangelical Friends and doing a lot of work in, in Russia as well. And he said the conversations that he's seeing in blogs are like the conversations that we've had at sort of these high-level meetings where people f- come together from all sorts of different places. It's just that people in their monthly meetings haven't been able to necessarily make these kind of connections. And, okay. and that, that was a wise thing when he said that, I thought, because right. it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. We get to go reach out mm-hmm. um, and, and listen in. Part of me thinks of the Internet as being something that connects people, but it's also tremendously distracting, and it's just so complex that it's easy mm-hmm. to feel like you're just being pulled in a million directions. You know, you can have, like, seven tabs open, and while you're waiting for one thing to load, you can be, you know, like, updating your Facebook status or whatever. But this this idea is that all of this information is actually helping us understand the root of spirituality and the root of our religion more deeply. And that's, mm-hmm. like, very encouraging. I think that that's unique in the way that people approach internet you know and blogging mm-hmm. well and also challenging stereotypes i mean every every type of friend you know we have you know our you know we'll have a story of you know what are those types of friends and how do they differ from us and you know uh, here here in philadelphia we'll say oh, the pastoral friends that have uh ministers like oh well they just sort of gave up all that quaker stuff and they're just you know they're, they're not really quakers you know that's something that's easy for us to say but you say that on a blog and you're going to get some Quaker pastors who are starting to have, you know, comment in, and they're going to have some really interesting arguments hmm. that you might not have thought about. So, um, you know, we sort of have our stereotypes gently challenged, hopefully right. gently, yeah. um, and it sort of makes it us more aware of the sort of thoughtfulness of the compromises that different types of friends have made. Hmm. And, and hopefully that makes us sort of grow. It keeps us out of just our little parochialism that we are this type of friend and we don't really exactly even understand the other types of friends. So tell me a little bit about Quaker Quaker and how that started. It really, it evolved. I started a, I started a personal blog, uh, well, a personal Quaker blog back in 2000-something or other, and um, there weren't very many blogs around, probably like 2003. There weren't many blogs around. And what I was kind of interested in is what would a Quaker blog be as opposed to a blog just written by a Quaker and so I'm like writing about these Quaker issues and um, things that have been probably swelling in my head for years. You know, when I when I started, I, I was just sort of whistling in the wind, just sort of writing these things and like who's really reading these things. And people though started commenting, and not instantly, um, but you get like a, a an email saying like I just stumbled on this post you wrote six months ago. It's a lot of things I've been thinking about saying this is great, and then. They go on for three or four paragraphs about what they're thinking. Hmm. Um, you start emailing back and forth, and two months later, they'd start their blog. Um, right. And so there was this whole kind of blogging network that kind of started accumulating together. Uh, I, you know, I come from a publishing background, so I'm always thinking about how to sort of increase uh, whatever kind of publishing energy there is or writing energy there is. So um, as new blogs came, I started posting on my blog, hey, everyone, check out such-and-such such blog, or mm. hey, so-and-so wrote in a great post, check it out. Right. Um, so I started doing like that as much as my own writing uh, after a while. Um, and, and really, it's just sort of evolved from there. So then I started like a, a links blog, as they call it, where I'm just like the, the links of things that I found this, this day or this week that are interesting for Quakers. So people can look, and it was just a sort of sidebar on my blog, here's the, the neat stuff I found. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that became kind of more popular than my own blog, so I put it on its own page on my blog, you know, here's all the stuff so people can go directly there. 
Uh, and then, you know, it's obvious, like, this is has more of a life than my own blog altogether. So, you know, you register the domain, um, mm-hmm. and um, it sort of has grown from there. Before you mentioned you were trying to figure out what a Quaker blog is and how that's different from a Quaker who writes a blog. Mm-hmm. And what is the difference, if any, that you found? I, I guess I, I would sort of answer a different way. That okay. um, one of... So when I had to get co-editors and when I when I decided to get co-editors I had to sort of figure out guidelines so what's going in my head when I pick a blog to feature and one of the things I realized is that it had to talk somehow explicitly about Quaker faith the person had to make the connection with Quaker faith mm-hmm. so if you have to, a Quaker who blogs they might talk about you know peace or environmental is- issues if they're like you know liberal friend and like they'll focus on this without sort of doing that background work of why this is a Quaker concern. Hmm. Um, and that, I don't think, helps someone who's a complete seeker, who's trying to learn about friends. Yeah, we are for peace, but why? Right. You know, so okay. one of the things, the qualifications to, to put up there um, is that they have to sort of connect the dots back to why this is a Quaker concern. I see. Um, and it works for, you know, for liberal friends, it might be, you know, why is peace or environmental justice a Quaker concern? Um, for evangelical friends or, you know, many other types of friends, it may be, well, why is the Bible something that friends should be reading? You know, don't just say, we're friends, we should read the Bible, we're friends, we should believe in peace, but why? So do mm-hmm. that back up. I see. Okay. I want to sort of open up the conversation more broadly to what you think Quakers relationship should be spiritually and theologically, I guess, to the internet and to technology in general, because it's this huge new world that, you know, we're confronted with now. What should the spiritual relationship be with um, technology? You know, I I think that the internet has, uh, really, I think the internet is sort of God's gift to friends in a Mm way. It makes us much more visible than we've ever been. You know, we're this tiny, infinitesimal little group of people um, who have a big reputation, but there's not many of us. And the Internet makes us much more visible. The, the most important outreach tool uh, for the past 10 years, bar none, has been uh, BeliefNet, the BeliefNet quiz, oh, um, the Belief-O-Matic, they call it, mm-hmm. um, where people will go and it'll purport to tell you what religion you should be part of, and you, you answer all these questions. And it seems rigged because everyone comes out to be a Quaker. Uh, and, and so we've gotten, we've had like thousands of people, you know, checking out, well, hundreds of thousands, maybe million of, millions of people really, actually, um, checking out liberal friends. And uh, they call it liberal friends and orthodox friends um, is what BeliefNet calls it. But checking us out because their answers um, right. came up that way. And that's so interesting. And, and, and we have people who are like, you know, on boards of our Quaker institutions now. We have people who are writing, who, unbeknownst to me, you know, I'll, I'll be talking with them and, you know, thinking they've been doing this forever. And I say, oh, no, I, I took BeliefNet. And wow. uh, so it's been around for like 10 years or maybe more. Wow. I, I wonder if the numbers have actually grown since the kind of boom of the Internet in the early 2000s. That would be an interesting project. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. But but there's there's tons of people and it's always been all the websites I've had BeliefNet's been one of the things that have driven people hmm. to the uh, to the site. Well, thank you okay. for talking with me. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> C 
so we are on the internet. And loving it, really. Recently, a Young Adult Friends Facebook group was started where Young Adult Friends can post job opportunities, blog updates, and any other information relevant to young Quakers. It absolutely exploded when it was first created. Clearly, there was a need for this kind of virtual community. I spoke with the creator of the group, Stephen Dotson, about Facebook and being a friend online. What would you say is a Quakerly way to engage with Facebook? Mm. <laughs> a Quakerly way to engage with Facebook. Well, first of all, I think it's hilarious that Facebook's key verb is our key <laughs> identity. True. I never you know? thought about that. Friending yeah. people is a whole new, um, a whole <laughs> new <laughs> connotation these days. <laughs> So, as friends, how do we friend? Is that what you? Is that what you? That's you could put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I really think it comes back to looking at it as a means to an end. Well, for example, my middle school friends program here at Philadelphia Yearly Meeting has its own Facebook group, and this doesn't serve to necessarily create the bonds that these kids have. Right, that happens at these gatherings that we have, where they they spend a lot of time in fellowship and explore spiritual questions, and they play together and sing together, and you know that's where the bonds are formed. But what it preserves is kind of the weak ties among people, and it enables them to have conversations and get information about the community in between those events. Mm -hmm. And so I th I think one of the key things to keep in mind always is: Am I using this tool? In the hopes that it will bring me closer to people in person eventually, that it will eventually culminate in a greater, more in-depth engagement with this person. I ideally, you know, in the flesh, mm -hmm. <laughs> or am I just indulging myself in these broad-ranged conversations and kind of insulating myself from really confronting people and and really committing to relationship? In general, I think the world has a very watered-down definition of community. The word itself gets thrown around very, very loosely and, and very lightly. And for myself, I define community as intimate connections that I really can only maintain with about 200, 250 people. In the end, I think you can't pretend that you know your thousand friends on Facebook are actually your community. There's a balance too, I think, between the individual and community, and that's a tension that Quakers have always kind of wrestled with, right? Mm -hmm. And the root of our theology is that there can be a personal and direct relationship with God from in each individual. Mm -hmm. And from that, we kind of move out and say, well, that relationship really is incomplete until it's brought into a place of support and accountability in a corporate body of friends. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, a danger in all these online tools because they really emphasize the individual Yes. And they really yes. promote the individual's voice, mm -hmm. you know, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This is what Twitter, blogs, Facebook, they all really uh, foster. Yeah. So I think there's a danger in that. We really need to stay sensitive to it. That's what I was going to say, actually, is this this overindulgence of, of the ego. I mean, it's a place where the ego can just expand and expand because the platform's always there. And there aren't people telling you you should not be on Facebook as much because they're on Facebook and they're engaging with that whole ego that you've created for yourself. So yeah, how should Quakers deal with their online identity? What should your relationship be to that? I think it kind of gets back to um, the need for 
all of us to try and embrace this in a manner consistent with friends, right? There's a parallel comparison um, between online world and, and the offline world. If I was running around talking about just yelling at the top of my lungs like, look at this article, watch this video, listen to the things I have to say, you know, eventually... Yeah. My community would clue into that because, you know, people, <laughs> community is actually people who are around you, you know, right. and, and they would say, you know, Stephen, you need to tone it down a little bit. It's kind of, you're kind of jumping the shark there, you know, whatever. But the problem, I think, in part is that we both isolate and individuate and expand that individual sense online mm-hmm. and the rest of our community may not even know what we're doing right right and so we need to get everybody hmm. to be present and and we need to share and build the bridge between our digital and analog lives mm-hmm. otherwise we're lacking a kind of wholeness hmm. both in ourselves and in how community works mm-hmm. you've heard of uh the new york times cartoon this is a famous cartoon where it's one dog at a computer turning to another dog and he says you know the internet's great. No one needs to know your dog. <laughs> you know, it's people can pretend and do indulge in kind of an escapism sometimes and recreate mm-hmm. themselves online. And I really don't think that's healthy necessarily. <laughs> no. I mean, there can be a sense in which that gives you a new start and kind of is an opportunity for grace. But I think much more likely it's indulgent and mm-hmm. not based in a genuine sense of who you are. It's really just about bringing the entire world online so that we can be as responsible for one another online as we are in person and in real communities. Oh, man. I mean, it's a big task. It's a big task, and it also frightens me, right? Because I kind of, I almost feel like I'm promoting transhumanism, that we should uh, Mm -hmm. be merging with technology and these kinds of things. But it's clear to me at this point that there's no going back. The world is not going to say, oh, you know what? This internet thing, just a little too crazy. <laughs> yeah, look, WikiLeaks. Yeah, we don't want that. You know, <laughs> right. you know. So I mean, it's adapt or fall by the wayside, fall into irrelevancy. Yeah. And you know, there's been different points during the history of Friends where the forms and the ways in which our faith has taken expression have had to change drastically, and and sometimes that's meant adopting. Uh, other traditions or doing things that are almost, you know, the revi- these revivals swept through the Midwest and, and the South after the Civil War. And compared to the quietism of Quakerism going on at that time, everyone's spiritually worn and torn. You know, if you see a big tent revival mm. and you're, you're a Quaker teenager, are you going to go and sit in silence with your elders who are, you know, really just kind of resigned in a certain sense, mm-hmm. or are you going to be attracted and, and, yeah. and sucked into this very alive, vibrant energy? Mm-hmm. You know, there were Quaker ministers who said at the time, you know, either we go with them to these revivals and we start doing some of these revival things ourselves, mm-hmm. or else we're going to lose the entire generation that's coming here. And, right. we, you know, we don't have anything that can appeal to them. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a story that, that Max Carter shared with me. And the way he always ends the story is, you know, in a certain sense, they we've had to continually throw away the old forms and embrace these new ones. And, and there is always the question of, have we lost more than we've gained? And I don't know. I don't know. But it's something you have to confront. Otherwise, you're just not going to be a part of the story 
moving forward. Yeah. When you speak with people about technology, you speak with a lot of older friends about Facebook. What are some tools that you give older people? Where I think there's potential for everyone is in using technology and and this need to bridge the generational divide as a cure in of itself. So you feel like you don't get to be in contact with your grandson so much because he really doesn't use email. He just uses Facebook. Maybe you don't even use email, right? But but you have the opportunity there to approach your grandson Hmm. and ask him, ask him to teach you. Right. And in turn... I think you have the opportunity to teach him what Quakerism has to say about the application of these technologies to their lives, Mm. to offer them really important questions that challenge how they use these things and make them think about it in a way that reminds them that everything they do needs to come from that spiritual center. Mm. Yeah, our our religious life isn't just something that we do in person. It's something we live out all the time. Mm And this is now a serious way in which we live our lives. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think both generations, like older generation says, this is stupid, you know, and that's not very helpful. But the younger generation says, well, they don't know what they're talking about and they have nothing to offer us because they're not speaking our language. The younger generation is too busy plotting revolutions in Tunisia and Egypt and (laughs) Yemen. So I bring that up not flippantly, but also because these tools do have that potential. Quakers have a long tradition with social justice and peace work, Mm -hmm. and there's a tremendous power that can be harnessed to organize Mm -hmm. and communicate and coordinate messages and get information out that that can promote those things. That's true. And again, I know I look to the people who came before me, the the giants of social justice who have tread these paths before me, for guidance and, and trying to figure out ways to apply the lessons of the civil rights movement to today's social justice movements using these new tools, mm-hmm. right? So that's another, it's, it's not just about how do I use these tools in right relationship with other people through the tool, but how do I use these tools to uh, radically express my faith and realize the kingdom of God because they do have some potential for that. Mm-hmm. Still, they're not the only piece of the puzzle, but right. it's a significant tool that can't be underestimated. Yeah, how do you use Facebook to create the kingdom of God on earth? That's I mean, a I, good question. Egypt, I think, is a beautiful, beautiful example, and Tunisia, b- both of, of which were f- foundationally supported by groups on Facebook that were able to communicate and send out messages to coordinate people's actions, to encourage a unified approach that was peaceful, mm-hmm. that had clear demands. Right. You know, all this. If there's an equation there, it's that communication and community are essential ingredients in building the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Good communication and good community. Mm-hmm. And the communication piece is where these online tools can really offer some some power. Well, cool. Thank you, Stephen. Thank so you. Awesome. This is fun. I'm so glad you're doing this conversation. I think it's vitally important.
Finally, I wanted to explore the spiritual effects of all of this technology, so I conducted a little experiment. I went on a technology fast and recorded my experience. You're listening to Spirit in Action, a Northern Spirit Radio production. See our website, northernspiritradio.org. Find our free and downloadable archives of the past six and a half years. We've got links to our guests and more info about them. And there is the opportunity to post comments about a particular show or in general. It's great to hear from all of you. These programs are broadcast in a number of states across the USA, but how do you hear them? And maybe you want to have another local station carry them. Contact us, post a comment, and get involved. We've got a special treat today for Spirit in Action because Madeline Schaefer is sitting in for me. She does a podcast called Friend Speaks My Mind that you'll want to check out. And today's topic is Quakers and Technology. The lessons are universal, and you'll undoubtedly get some priceless insights from Madeline's work. So, back to Madeline Schaefer and her next experience, a technology fast. Independent! Independent! So I'm going on this fast, technology fast, that is. Just one week, I'm getting rid of my cell phone, my iPod, and my Facebook page. I'm a little bit scared. You know, like, I mean, there's this fear that I'll be disconnected and somehow some amazing thing will happen and I, I won't know about it. And then, I don't know, I won't have any friends. I guess that's my fear is that I will lose all of my friends. And I guess what I need to realize is that I, it's not that I don't need friends because of course I need friends, but friends are not who I am. My relationships cannot really address issues of loneliness and deep-seated questions of meaning. I mean, these are pretty basic kind of, you know, spiritual issues that we grapple with. And I realized that my iPod and Facebook and my cell phone are really keeping me from addressing those issues. And they're keeping me from engaging with my spiritual self. forward to a more spontaneous existence. I think that's why you feel spiritually deprived when you're connected to all this technology because it takes all the spontaneity out of existence and without that there's just no magic. Magic doesn't exist in something that's created, it exists in something that you create and that happens to you, not that you make happen. And so I'm getting rid of technology so I can let things happen to me. So should be an interesting week. Put the bits 
gets written for gets Day number one. I started the day feeling really good. I definitely felt much more connected to everyone around me and much more aware of what was going on. Then at around probably two or three, I just really wanted to go on Facebook. And I really wanted to have my cell phone. I just really wanted to connect to somebody because I was feeling really lonely. Because I'm sitting in this office, basically by myself, and I just, I just wanted to go on Facebook and see what people were doing. I wanted to text somebody and get some kind of human response. I was just feeling lonely. I wish that I weren't lonely, and I wish that I could just be strong and say, oh, well... I'm not really lonely and we're all connected and I'm just loved by God and which is true it's just like ugh. I think I'm just going through withdrawal right now I just feel lonely but I know that I'm not I'm and I'm not normally like not alone in the kind of like larger spiritual sense but like I'm not like I have a lot of people that I know who love me and who would love to spend time with me and I don't have to worry about that Day two of the technology fast. Still feeling pretty crappy, to be honest. You know, it's hard because I just moved to West Philly and I'm working on something. It's taking a lot of my time and, you know, getting over somebody and getting rejected. And... You know, things happen in life that are shitty and uh, it's a lot easier when I have my technology to cling to you in those times, but um, it's so tempting to just go get a drink or go smoke weed or do something like that. And not that I couldn't not do that, I mean, it's not technology. If anything, that's probably a much more historical means of forgetting reality. But I guess it wasn't just about rejecting technology, it was about getting in touch with myself and forcing myself to be with myself. This was a hard day. This was really challenging for me. I made the mistake of bringing my iPad with me to work because I need to charge it because I use it in my room. Like I plug it to my stereo and listen to it in my room. And so I brought it with me and I was just tempted the whole... And I was just having a bad day, a series of events and whatever. I was just feeling shitty. And I was on my way home from work and I just wanted to listen to my iPod so bad. So today is number four. I felt much better today, actually. 
Yeah, I realized that I actually really am appreciating the quiet time I have now. And I realized that I like my privacy. I like having my mind to myself. I like not having to share it constantly with other people. I mean, it wasn't easy all day. I definitely had moments when I just wished I had my iPod so I could listen to music. But, you know, it was fine. It's just nice having my privacy again. less congested, like my life is just less crowded with people speaking and I'm less worried about staying on top of things and feeding my own loneliness with something. Um, and then when I do, I feel like I do it with more constructive things like playing guitar and it's given me a lot of time to think about my radio, what I'm doing here and um, just letting my brain work on things that aren't, you know, social networking, um, which, you know, overall not actually that important to me. <laughs> I mean... And it never has been really important for me to have lots of friends. I've never been in a group of friends, really. I'm really more of a one-on-one -on -one person, so... I mean, it's silly that Facebook would have mattered so much to me. Yeah, I'm feeling good, and I'm feeling good today. And, I mean, I only have another day left, and... I don't know if I'm gonna turn Facebook back on. Sometimes I see things, and I want to post them on people's walls, and... I just, you know, I'm like, oh, I wonder what so-and-so's favorite blah 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 is, and I want to check that out, but I think there's just, I've developed this ways of thinking because I was on Facebook, and so once I get a, stop using Facebook for a certain amount of time, I won't have those impulses, so I'm just going to stay off Facebook for a while. Probably bring my cell phone, although I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do with my cell phone. And then iPod, oh, I want my iPod so bad. Maybe I'll leave my cell phone turned off. I don't know. We'll see. This is my first day back. It's 8.07. Listening to music, as usual. So let me reopen my Facebook account. Just to... Should I... I don't know. Feels like if I do it, then there's no going back, but... No. You know what? I'm gonna see how long I cannot use Facebook. I'm gonna do that. I'm Xing out of it. Okay, well, <laughs> that was different than I thought it would be. still not back on Facebook, and I don't know when I will be again. Facebook is beckoning me, though, as my professional life becomes more demanding and my need to network becomes increasingly important. But I'm learning to develop limits, and if anything, my fasts certainly increase my awareness. I suppose, first and foremost, it's important to not let technology consume you. It's important to make good choices. As young Quakers become older Quakers, I hope we can establish some good guidelines for how Quakers should approach this fast-paced and at times overwhelming phenomenon that is technology. I believe in 
Gandhi's views were the most enlightened of all the political men in our time. We should strive to do things in his spirit, not to use violence in fighting for our cause, but by non-participation in anything you believe is evil. What does a Quaker website look like? Well, if that Quaker organization has a website, it would probably look a lot like any other website. But are there defining characteristics of a website created by a Quaker organization? To find out, I spoke with Chris Pfeiffer, the web manager at Friends General Conference, and Aaron Crossman, the web director of the American Friends Service Committee. I started by asking about the process of developing AFSC's new website in 2008. One of the things that we had that was a challenge with the old site was AFSC's site had built up over a long period of time, kind of organically. Uh, the the site had been started relatively early uh, in terms of organizations having a website. Uh, there was a staff person, uh, Terry Foss, who recognized that. AFSC should have something, and so he built something. And then over time, bits and pieces got added to it, and they redesigned it a little bit, and then they'd add some more bits and pieces, and then they'd redesign it again and add bits and pieces. But it had never really been stopped and looked at all the way end to end and done in a way where somebody had the authority to say, this whole section's really out of date. We're going to get rid of it. And this material that nobody had ever been able to just throw things away hmm. uh, that, that weren't accurate, weren't up-to-date, weren't, weren't good, useful material for our audience. And so that had been a long-standing challenge. And one of the things that I was given uh, as an opportunity when we did that, that second redesign in 2008 was a real opportunity to vision, envision the website from scratch. And it also meant that we had, therefore had to work with the different regions, with all of AFSC's uh, different program areas, to say, what is it that you have that's really good that needs to be brought forward? And so we, it really uh, helped a lot of those programs stop and think about how they, they talked about their own work uh, and really put out much better materials than they'd had uh, in the years previously uh, because they stopped and actually looked hmm. and really looked, took a deep look and really thought about it. So it sounds like it was beneficial to the organization, having to think and organize and, and think about presentation. I think it was. I, I think a lot of folks around here felt like it was. Did rethinking that website, did that change the way that you communicate with different AFSC organizations around the country and around the world? It was part of a, a change that had kind of started at that point and really had, has grown um, since then. Uh, and we were actually used somewhat as a model for some of that change that has been working hard uh, at getting out of a mindset of each little piece of the organization being independent. Um, that made a lot of sense when there wasn't really easy ways to communicate and collaborate over great distances. And because you work, each program works in its own uh, community and, and is very focused on that community, um, it made a lot of sense for those folks to be very independent. Um, but there, was, there were opportunities that were getting lost in that cross-communication. Uh, and we were part of a larger organizational move towards looking at ourselves as a whole. So 
the increased communication between the different branches, between the different work, AFSC was better able to understand, okay, what is our common vision or like what is our common goal as like an organization? It, it's helped us, uh, yeah, better articulate it. And I think there are a lot of people who had a shared vision, but it was recognizing that we did have that shared vision and, right. again, clarifying how we articulate it. Hmm. Okay. Well, and um, Chris, you are currently working on the F- on redoing the FGC website. Sure. Is that correct? Yes. And you're sort of the project manager. Uh, well, I'm one of a couple people who are pretty deeply involved here. Yeah. Okay. And so this is a question for both of you, mm-hmm. as and especially for Chris, as you were, as this is probably somewhat fresh in your mind. Sure. What are the strengths and challenges in creating a website using the organizational structures that Quakers have, such as uh, consensus decision making and, you know, committees and subcommittees? And do you find their benefits and, and disadvantages? You know, I've built a number of websites for nonprofits as sort of freelance and, you know, there are pretty distinct differences in terms of building a website for a quick organization versus even, a, a, you know, I built the site for the World Student Christian Federation North America, you know, which is a similarly volunteer-driven organization. You know, there are, there are some impacts just in how you plan time and scheduling and, you know, friends are used to ha- giving a lot of space for deliberation on questions and... There are some real challenges around around performing that kind of deliberation in the in a limited time frame um, in order to produce a site that's that's somewhere close to the deadline that we hope to hope to meet. You know, I think that said, I, you know, early on in the process, I did a map of what I was thinking the site would involve and include, and it's always amazing to to have you know fairly in depth conversations with people across the organization and hear really interesting ideas or approaches that I hadn't ever thought about. And one of the challenges is to say, you know, pretty deeply engage the committee structures and the processes of the organization, while also saying the fundamental organizational structure of the site itself cannot be our internal structure. We don't, we don't want to have to force somebody who wants to learn a little bit about Quakerism to understand, well, you know, you have to go to the growing subcommittee of the Committee for Nurturing Ministries, and that's where you'll find your information about new to Quakerism stuff. Um, so, you know, we're actually, today, we were, we were playing around with other sort of organizational models around different audiences or, you know, events and, and um, resources and things like that. So, hmm. Hmm. and. Do you see any um, any ways in which the, we do Quakers do um, create structure, work with structure being translated onto the website on either website? One of the questions that we've really been sitting with that's actually something that I I'm really excited by um, is you know so there's there's a contemporary you know a, a secular model of blogging which is, you know, one friend or one individual sits down and writes out a blog post. And, you know, I mean, there are some friends who do a fairly deep discernment process around their blogging, and there are, you know, other people who are non-Quaker or whatever, where you get um, much less well-discerned content. So there's a, a, a real interesting challenge of what does it look like to, you know, what, is, what does it look like when FGC blogs? What does it look, you know, what is the discernment process? How do we reflect good Quaker practice? Um, and, and I think that, you know, we haven't entirely figured out what that is, but we know that it's different and mm-hmm. that, that there's more steps than one person sitting down and writing. Um, 
the ways we develop content for AFSC site, and somewhat with some work I've done with Philadelphia Yearly Meeting on, on the site there, I think there's a, a difference between, between organizing the website to map with a particular committee structure or particular process plan as opposed to making sure that the material matches the or it carries a tone of friends. At AFSC, we work pretty hard at trying to help staff uh, describe their work in ways that, that match the values of the organization. Um, if we move most of our services online, do you see there being any change in like the ways that we organize FGC um, or just like our organizations in general? Maybe that's like a larger, broader societal question. Um, but like in terms of the structure of FGC as it is, do you see the website taking over, changing that at all? Well, I'm not sure taking over is the right word. I, I, I think it is, it's important to think about it. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure what changes would come. The basic structure of most Quaker organizations, I mean, FGC was 1900. Um, you know, the basic committee structure and, and the ways in which you get involved with FGC is by you joining a committee. And, and you know, I get excited about the prospect of what does, it, what does it look like to, you know, to have a thousand ways that you can be involved with the work of FGC, you know, remotely, you know, if you have an hour to give, if you have, you know, a week to give, a month to give, um, and I, all of that becomes much more possible um, mm. using the web. Mm. Um, so much more volunteer-based, potentially. Yeah, I think, and I, you know, I think that it becomes, the organization can become more responsive to the needs of friends, the more friends we're able to have involved virtually. Um, mm. There are some efficiencies that, that you can bring about by using technology and the ways in which we manage our programs or the ways in which we deliver our services. And I think that's important. Um, I think it's also important that we hang on to the essence of why it is that we're doing what we're doing and um, what is what is this program supposed to do? You know, what is what does the traveling ministries program look like in the 21st century where, you know, you have a model that started in the 1660s, what? Um, but there's an essence there that's really important. That is That is probably not done well virtually. That involves a friend sitting with other friends in person. Um, but how can we make the management in the back office smoother so that it's easier for, you know, for us to keep up with, you know, where requests are coming from and what are needs and, and respond to them better? Hmm. I, yeah, my, my experience having been in technology in a Quaker organization for almost 10 years now has been that the the technology needs to be uh, there to, in a way that adapts the technology to meet the best needs of the friends and the people doing the work. That people shouldn't redesign how they work to match the website unless the website has been designed to most efficiently empower their work. Right. And so that the goal there is to be uh, getting the work done well, uh, not saving money. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. That may be, that is often a very nice side effect <laughs> of doing, of getting the technology out of the way of doing the work and using it as a useful tool. Well, thank you both. Thank you. That was excellent. Yes.
When I returned to Philadelphia and entered the Quaker virtual world, I encountered all sorts of uniquely Quaker sign-offs. A big one is any variety of peace, including peace and love, Pax, peace and blessings, in peace, in Christ's friendship and love, in the light, in friendship, and one of my personal favorites, lightly. The list goes on and grows and expands as Quakers increasingly use the internet to foster relationships and communities. Today's Spirit in Action show was hosted by Madeline Schaefer, who also produces her series, Friends Speaks My Mind. Thanks to Madeline for sitting in for me today, and we can all look forward to hearing more from her in the future. But I also want to encourage you to think about what you have to contribute to the conversation. Maybe you have a leading to share your insights and interviews on a topic appropriate for either Spirit in Action or Song of the Soul. If so, and to discuss the possibility, contact me via the info at northernspiritradio.org. Your input and energy will be welcomed. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.